Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. everybody welcome back to a brand new episode of believe in the jaguars right here on the believe podcast network my name is phil smith aka phil the filipino and as always i am joined by my co-host james johnson the managing editor of the jaguars wire of usa today jay thank you so much for holding it down last week uh, for those of you who don't know i was out sick luckily it was not covid related uh, so don't worry about that everything is good on my end but uh, jay again thanks for you know taking care of the episode and handling of course what was the really big news in terms of dave caldwell and it seems like we're all just kind of in cruise control as a fan base and also everybody just covering the team you know of course we're getting competitive play out of the team which is nice but also a lot of us are just kind of looking forward to that monday after the final game of the season where we're just waiting for that inevitable news. And then we'll really get into it. As I always say, Jay, dating back to the Jags Den podcast days, the off we are the off-season champions, and that is where we thrive. So while a lot of teams, their season ends, you know, in the beginning of January, ours really begins. And I think a lot of us are looking forward to that. Yeah, man, it's it's just making it to that last stretch, you know, and we finally can say we're at the last quarter of the season, just four games left. We ended the third quarter of the season with the Vikings. We'll talk about that a little bit in a, um, you know, a competitive game and entertaining game once again. I know, like, it's being a dead drum, but at the same time, like, I guess if you're a Jets man, how could you be mad with it? Because you know what the end goal is. You know, you know what you're trying to be in the future and so on and so forth. And you know uh, what needs to happen for them to, you know, be able to get over the hump next year. So, that being said, like, I mean, that's really all you can ask for from the team is that they go out there, compete, make it interesting and don't win a game, you know, and, and lose a grip of one of these quarterbacks. But, uh, yeah, man, um, it was fun to hold it down on a, a solo episode and talk on Dave Caldwell. Check that out where I discussed the three guys that I think are, um, you know, the top candidates in my book, not necessarily the Jags book. Uh, but, you know, I just I had a list of six on um, Jaguars wire and I just narrowed it down to the guys that because I didn't rank them, uh, but I ranked them in the podcast instead. So feel free to check that out. We appreciate all the love and support, man, and glad to be talking some football once again. Absolutely, guys. And of course, wherever you're listening, you know, we hope that you are healthy and safe. You know, we got the holiday season coming up or well, it actually is already here so i know people are out or going or going shopping and all that kind of stuff just be careful especially if you're here in florida like i am you know cases for covid are, are skyrocketing and you know a lot of people are trying to forget that it is a thing but it is certainly still around uh, but anyway of course we're going to break down the game as well as i'm going to give my thoughts on dave caldwell here in just a moment and then we're going to talk more about some interesting comments that came out about lot j that's how we'll wrap up the episode and we're also going to have a discussion with believe in the titans which we'll introduce here momentarily uh, that was a lot of fun that's actually how we're going to start off the episode i apologize but before we begin i want to re remind you guys if you're enjoying the show please subscribe and rate five stars on apple Podcasts. along with apple Podcasts, you can also follow us on spotify google play stitcher luminary and tune in you can also find us at believe.com and at believe podcast 
You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don, and you can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod. Before we get started, Jay, and before we introduce this conversation with Believe in the Titans, I do also want to give a special shout out to our sponsor. The NFL season is in full swing, and you know, while we may not be at the games this year, Jay, we can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Of course, the NBA season is coming upon us, and I feel like I do mention this almost every week, Jay, but I just have to remind all you NBA fans out there, Luka Doncic is the overwhelming favorite to win MVP this year. I think he's got it in the bag, Jay. Of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo follows him. Steph Curry in a comeback year, possibly. And then LeBron, Anthony Davis, guys like that are on the list as well. But I'm going to be heading over to Bet Online and putting some money down on my boy Luka. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to waiver than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So Jay, we're going to transition into our discussion behind enemy lines with the Tennessee Titans. Of course, earlier in the year, we had a chance to join Davey Hudson and Denard Walker uh, from over there. And every time we link up with them, it's, it's a lot of fun. So Jay, you want to go ahead and set up this, uh, this clip that we have with them discussing this upcoming matchup with the Titans. Absolutely. As you said, man, we have a lot of fun with those guys. And as you will hear me say in the actual recording itself, uh, you know, it, it's probably difficult for me and Phil to go and collaborate with anybody that associates themselves with the Titans and do it peacefully. But those guys make it easy. And uh, yeah, feel free to check out their content on Believe in the Titans. And, uh, you know, we'll link all of that in the uh, description for this episode. So without further ado, here is our podcast or our episode that we shot with the Believe in Titans crew. We got Phil and James back in the house. I'm Davey Hudson alongside Denard Walker. And guys, it's been a couple of weeks since we have last done this. It's been ups and downs for, for both sides, for better or worse. And to just go ahead and get us right into things, I mean, we're going into week, gosh, 14. Or is it 13? I see, like, that's the point. It's like 2020 just lasts so long, I keep getting it mixed up. It all runs together, man. It does. (laughs) It's that point. I don't know. We just had an NFL game basically on, like, every day of the week. It's it's crazy how things have been. But to get caught up how how have things been with the Jaguars obviously the record is not ideal but just from a, a team standpoint since the Titans have last seen the Jaguars what's that like just to kind of get us caught up well first off uh, Davey Denard good to see you guys and hear from me I hope you're you know healthy and safe and all that stuff of course we're just trying to continue to navigate through this year as we talked about Davey before we got started you know the football side of things of course for the Jags has not been very good but I think Jay can definitely attest to this as far as the team's performance, especially in the last couple of weeks, is they haven't given up, right? They look good against Minnesota. Now, of course, Minnesota's been a little bit all over the place, but uh, they look good against Green Bay, who arguably is one of the top teams in the NFC. Uh, they've been competitive. Now, the Steelers game, of course, you know, they got knocked around. Uh, and then, again, competitive against the Browns team, who we'll talk to you guys about here in just a moment as far as how that went. But one thing's for sure, and, and like I said, Jay can kind of um, add on to this. The team is definitely playing hard, and they're definitely not tanking, at least on, on their end. 
Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. How, how do you guys feel about that not tanking? Like, where, where are you all at on that as far as, like, you're covering the team? I mean, you're not seeing it, but for the fans' perspective, where, where are the fans at? Well, the fans are pretty much kind of the putting how Phil kind of elaborated on there. The fans are fine with losing games at this point. And make no mistake about it, the fans, the fans aren't saying, hey, uh, we're cool with the aspect of losing, but they know what's at stake here. You know, we, me and you and uh, Phil, we kind of talked about this uh, before we got going here. The Jags had their grasp on Trevor Lawrence for five minutes or so. And, you know, like when you look at it from that perspective and that big picture perspective and a future perspective, uh, the, the whole element of getting Trevor Lawrence could be the best thing that happened to the Jacksonville Jaguars since the franchise came to Jacksonville. Um, that, that young man is a, is a game changer. At least we everything we've seen on paper makes us believe he's a game changer. And even, you know, even they are fine with Justin Fields as well, at like the number two overall spot. Either way, they understand that a franchise quarterback is at stake. And that's something that the team has really never had. You know, I think the closest thing you could say to that was Mark Brunel, of course. Uh, but, like, since Mark Brunel, they haven't had that guy at quarterback. And they understand we're going to continue to be where we are until you address that position the way that you're supposed to. And in their defense, they've tried in the past. Uh, they tried with Blake Bortles, didn't work out. Uh, but these guys feel a little bit more concrete than Blake Bortles. So from that perspective, they want to end this season with the, uh, with one win, basically. At the same time, though, like we've seen so many losses – one thing that the fans are rooting for is competitiveness. They want to be entertained in the process. And normally you don't get your cake and eat it, but oddly enough, as Phil said, that's been the case. Like we've been getting our cake and be able to eat it at the same time because, yeah, they are losing games, but at the same time, they're flashing. They're showing us what the future could be if you insert X quarterback into the equation. Mm -hmm. And from that perspective, it's kind of interesting to watch to say the Yeah, I – I'm really, gosh, like, I, I think this is great that you guys are here, and uh, I'll, I'll introduce this a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, with where we're getting at in the season, I mean, obviously we have this game coming up. It's a big game for the Titans. They are in desperate need of a win after what we saw this past Sunday against Cleveland. But I, I, I myself, like, I'm a huge draft analyst. I, I go all in, dive head first. And we have a guy here that I think I have actually not even had a chance to talk to him about this yet, but – you guys mentioned that it seemed like there for a second the Jaguars had a chance to get Trevor Lawrence for about five minutes. And then one of the craziest calls I think I've ever seen was a cover zero by defensive coordinator Greg Williams. And what is interesting is Denard's entire time in Tennessee, he had a certain coordinator by the name of Greg Williams. Denard, have you ever seen Greg call cover zero whenever the game is on the Yes. In a Hail Mary situation. He did that before? Yes. All the time. <laughs> With the game on the line, he's sitting yes. no one in coverage, and he's got a guy who runs a 4-6 on the outside against a guy who can run a 4-2 and Henry Ruggs just sliding by him. Yes. I thought, Greg I thought Greg intentionally did that to get the – like. To send the tank in, I, I thought wow. he wanted the. I thought he wanted the rest of the year off. That's what I thought because he lost. No. <laughs> he's an aggressive play caller. That's his DNA. That's how Baltimore ended, ended up getting into the playoffs. Is the fact in two thousand was he went to an all blitz package with a uh, 
at the end of the game, which we were up, and unfortunately with the fourth and like, nah, by like fourth and seven, um, Trent Dilford just threw the ball up in the end zone and the defensive back and the receiver got tangled up. They end up calling a defensive pass interference on us and then Baltimore goes in and score and the rest is, rest is history. So they let, that's how Baltimore ended up getting in the playoffs that year was we basically let them in. Huh. So so this wasn't a first-time thing. No, no, he did that. And, well, you know what, it's not – I mean, I wouldn't have called that, but you know what, he did that in 97. We were up on Arizona. We were beating – we were blowing them out, and then he calls in the fourth quarter – calls an all-star, which is an all-out blitz or chili burger, cheeseburger, anything that was like a one name, that's an all-out blitz. And when he called it, when he called the uh, blitz, Marcus Robertson and Blaine Bishop went berserk on the field. No, no. And it was guys were going crazy on the defensive unit because they couldn't believe he called it. So they changed the call. Uh, regardless of what Greg called, we went, we went ahead and just in a zone we went to the sideline and it was chaos. And his thing was, when I call it, you run it. But uh, no, that's 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 the way Greg calls games. I, I love Greg Williams as a coach because um, he taught me a lot. He taught me how to play the game. And I know sometimes, unfortunately, you know, those coaches are judge. You know, every call that they make, especially those coordinators. And if they make one bad call, you know, I mean, basically they're out of a job. And so that's what happened. He made a call, uh, and unfortunately, it backfired. So that's the name of the game. Well, I think Jets fans might need to send him a check if they end up with Trevor Lawrence at the end of the day. But we'll get off of that. I just – go ahead, Jay. To that, we, Me and Phil should know better. We should – you know, like for me and Phil, we shouldn't be shocked because Greg Williams was the defensive coordinator for the Jags at one yes. point in time. And, you know, albeit we were pretty young at the time, uh, still, like, those were the type of things, like Denard said, those were the type of things we saw him do. Even, you know, you could argue that the Jacksonville Jaguars didn't have the personnel for the type of scheme he was trying to run. Yeah. Look, Greg did his thing, uh, you know, he did things his way, and it was his way, you know, only in, in terms of, you know, not to say he overruled a head coach or anything like that, but, you know, he stays true to himself is what I'm saying. Yeah, and true. when it happened – like, people were all over the internet and the web saying, oh, they're tanking, they're tanking, they're tanking, this, that, and the other. That was intentional. I'm with Denard. I was not shocked at that play call because those who have seen uh, what Greg done and Denard has, you know, seen it in person, he's played for him, understand, like, that's just who he is. Yes. That's who he is. And unfortunately, he was who he, who he was at the wrong moment for Jaguars fans because it cost us very good that's quarterback. It. Yeah, that's his DNA. It's called aggressive play calling. And, and you know what? It worked for the Saints. And, James, I agree. It's all about the personnel. If you got the right guys running that scheme, it can work. But, again, I'll tell anybody out there, uh, when you look at the defensive back on that play, he is. Is, is how you're supposed to do it. Uh, if you get beat over the top and all blitz coverage, it's not the defensive back fault. It's just they expose the defense. So anybody out there that knows football one-on-one, don't blame that young man for getting beat. He did his job and he did it well. So that's the Achilles heel of the running out. You get beat if they run a stutter and go and the receiver made a play again. That's just it beat the defense. So that's uh, called the old Buddy Ron scheme. He invented the defense, and unfortunately, uh, the way that scheme works is it, it's supposed to be uh, a defense that combats every 
scheme every formation in the National Football League. And unfortunately, it don't always work like that. The 46 defense, and they, they took that that all-star, that blitz from that, that game. Well, turning our attention back to this coming week, I mean, the Titans, the Jaguars, AFC divisional matchup, a lot on the line for both teams in certain ways, however you want to look at it. But last time these two teams met, it was a 33-30, really good game down the line. But the Jaguars at the time had Gardner Minshew leading the way. And right now they do have a little bit different situation at the quarterback position. And, and guys, whenever you're looking at Mike Glennon, what is it that Titans fans, like? is, is this something like, how are you guys just feeling going into this matchup in general? And then on top of that, with the quarterback play, what are you all expecting? I'll go ahead and go first. Uh, so, I mean... With Mike Glennon, you know, you, we're not really going to – we're not going into this ex- expecting much. We have our expectations, as we already kind of talked about, as far as how we feel like the remainder of the season is going. Now, when we talked to you guys back before week two, you know, coming off of a victory against the Colts and then Gardner Minshew playing the way that he did in week two, if, if you would have told me that come week 13 when we meet again, Mike Glennon is going to be our quarterback, I'd be very surprised because early on he definitely looked solid. And Jay and I were even having discussions about, hey, maybe – Gardner has played his way into the long-term future of this franchise. Now that doesn't seem to be the case. He's a healthy scratch. They've pretty much seen what they what they need to, they feel. So, you know, with Mike Lennon, you're honestly not going to get too much. He's going to make the right decisions, as you see. They, they have been competitive in the last couple of weeks. Not going to do anything too flashy. One thing that I am thrilled about as a UT fan, Jay, <laughs> is that he's he seems to have developed this chemistry with Colin Johnson. So I, I, I just as long as we get to see – the young guys, you know, James Robinson, Colin Johnson, LaVisca Chanel, all of them continue to get good reps, which they have gotten throughout the entire season. Keelan Cole even as well in the offense. Um, you know, that's really what to, what to expect. You really just need to continue to look out for the young guys that they want to continue to develop that are going to be part of a really interesting young core that Jay just talked about. Uh, real quick, Phil, just to add on for some of our audience, when, you, when Phil says UT, he's referring to Texas. A lot, of, forgot, a lot of guys I around forgot. here in uh, Tennessee, yeah, they're I like, I've never seen guy play for the Vols. I got to clarify no, you're good, on this man. show, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's always a, a debate whenever I'm in a Texas country. I mean, heck, Denard lives in Texas, so, I mean, whenever he hears UT, I'm sure he thinks Texas as well. But uh, I had a little bit there, but James, go ahead, man. Yeah, much like Phil, you know, uh, none of us saw Mike Glennon starting you know this far into the season if you would have asked me week two when we were on your podcast we would have told you if it's not Gardner Minshew they'll probably try Jake Luton out there you know over guard and we're talking about a six-round rookie from Oregon State that was inactive a lot of the season but we still probably would have told you like hey the upside there is something that Doug Marone would be willing to take a gamble on now what I will say with with Glennon that I've noticed issue didn't really offer is the ability to throw in the middle of the field. The the tight ends saw more targets in uh, their last game, especially I think James O'Shaughnessy and um, and uh, Tyler Eifert saw roughly like 10 targets together combined. So that's an element that he brings onto the field that Gardner Minshew didn't. Uh, at the same time, like a lot of people – in terms of if you're looking at it from a fan perspective, like they're fine with it, of course, because as I said, you know, they're cool with like losing, uh, you know, losing as many games as possible. But the issue is like 
they're finding a hard time just to find that Gardner Minshew is a worse quarterback than Mike Glennon. And people think it's more to it than that. Uh, some people think like they're, you know, Doug Marone is punishing Gardner Minshew for hiding the injury that he sustained week five and trying to play with it for a couple of weeks. So, like, I think that's an interesting dynamic to look at in terms of the quarterback situation. Uh, but in terms of what we're expecting, like Phil would say, I probably wouldn't expect all that great of a showing from Mike Glenn. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if your defense does have a weakness in the interior in terms of coverage, uh, that might be an area where he could exploit the team. Yeah. Titans fans are really interested just in quarterback play after this past weekend in which Baker Mayfield really did have probably his best performance as a pro. Titans did not show up for that game, and it was one of the worst games uh, in definitely Nissan Stadium history. Don't let that score for you, 41-35. to 35. Uh, that, That's a farce. That was not even close. The Browns, as Nard mentioned last time we got together, was after the first half they were just ready to get on the bus and just trying to get out of there. Um, but, Nard, whenever you – I know you've been big on Chenault, but whenever you're looking at – this Jacksonville offense going up against the Titans defense. I mean, are, are you thinking Jacksonville's going to be able to move the ball? Like, what are you expecting from the Titans? Do they kind of get back and have a bounce-back type performance? Where are you at in those regards? Well, I hope so, because if they don't, I mean, you can see another letdown this week, because think about it. If you're Jacksonville, you have nothing to lose right now at this part of the season. And the way that guys are entering this game and down the stretch the next three next three or four weeks of the season is a lot of individuals in that locker room for Jacksonville are fighting for their jobs next year. One of the things management will always tell guys when you have a losing record like this, and that's what happened when I was at Oakland, we knew we were out of the uh, playoff. I mean, we were terrible, um, abysmal, deplorable, however you want to name it. But basically what management would do is say, listen, we're not, here to tank we're not here to quit and for you guys that quit you got to understand this is that there's no guarantees that the other 31 teams will take you so everything that you do here on from here on here on is basically you're fighting for a position for next season yes rosters always change that's the way the national football league works so i think you will get the best of jacksonville because let me tell you something this is a young team and when I watched this game against Minnesota, pretty much Jacksonville actually got this football game. The fact that they ended up, when they really stopped Minnesota, they end up having a lot of self-inflicted wounds. And that's, that's the characteristics of a young team. And you know what? I've been on teams like that. You're young. You just don't really know how to win because you haven't developed that continuity yet. When these young guns, when they develop continuity among each other and learn to trust in one another, and they get, like James and Phil say, when they get that right quarterback in there to lead this team, this is going to be a dangerous team for years to come. Because let me tell you something. They got a beast, number 30. I love this guy, James Robinson. I mean, he's an undrafted uh, rookie out of Illinois State, 5'9", 219 pounds. And he gashed Tennessee the last time we played this team. I mean, he really was the X factor. But, I get, again, I got a little boy from LSU, DJ Sharp. He absolutely gassed his secondary last time. So they got some playmakers. You know, it's just putting it together. And that takes time, you know. And that's, you know, unfortunately, a record really don't indicate how good or bad a team really is. This team will fight you. It's just that they will end up hurting themselves, and that's where everything goes wrong. So if they can play mistake-free football, then they have a chance at winning this game if Tennessee don't show up. Yeah, yeah. He's right. No, that's completely right. 
Yeah, I mean, like, it's so int- Like, he literally spoke a mouthful there that I all agreed with. Like, it literally said, he literally said everything that I agree with. Don't let the Jaguars one win fool you. That's why me and Phil are so positive about this team when they get a quarterback. Is To me, this is the most dangerous one-win team I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not just saying that as a homer, you know, because I have to have a journalism, a journalist take on this as well. Uh, this team, you know, if I was a team that has to deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars in this last quarter of the season, these last four games, each of those teams, especially the ones that have great records, should be concerned that they could get upset on any given date because, you know, while, you know, me and Phil said what we said about Mike Lennon, the thing about it is if you, and I wrote about this in USA Today's paper, the key with this team is not only are they still fighting for Doug Marone and still fighting like Denard said, they haven't given up and they're not into this notion of tanking, but I actually put this in the paper is if you don't smack this team in the mouth early and you let them have a good first quarter, that was their issue in the first half of the season. They started off slow. They've now learned. That's one of the issues they've actually cleared up is they've learned how to start fast. They've learned how to put, you know, albeit sometimes just three points or whatever the case may be, seven points. But in the first drives of these games, they've shown light. And it's, you know, it's triculated into the second and third and fourth quarter and lingering and around with Aaron Rodgers and they're hanging around with the, they even smacked the, the Steelers in the mouth in the first drive they had, albeit they lost that game by a large margin. If you go by that first drive, they were pretty lively in that first drive. So that being said, you know, the Titans cannot come out lethargic because it's going to be a long day if they come out lethargic in this game and the Jaguars will stick around with them, especially knowing this team uh, as personally as they do. Yeah. Whenever I, Looking at the Titans right now, I I feel much better about the offense than I do the defense. I mean, this this defense, for whatever reason, things just have not been able to click this year, and the the inconsistencies have just been credible. Actually, I will say they are consistently inconsistent. It's probably the best way to put it. And, well, the only thing that they are consistent with is letting teams get a third down completion. That's one of the worst third downs, I think, conversion rates I've ever seen in the NFL history whenever it comes to stopping it for Tennessee. I don't know. That issue is Denard and I have talked about it on multiple occasions, but for whatever reason, they have struggled in that regard. And right now, they've just they've really got an injury bug. Jadavion Clowney this past Wednesday secretly underwent season-ending knee surgery. He is done. Uh, whenever you're looking at cutting Vic Beasley from the last time the Titans had played play against the Jaguars, and heck, last time the Titans played against the Jaguars, Titans also had Camilla Correa still, which is now I believe he's out for your all's game on Sun or for the game on Sunday. But I mean edge rusher that the Titans no longer have. Tier Tart starting, well, he wasn't really starting, but he was getting a good amount of rotation at the defensive tackle position. He's suspended for stepping on a player this past week. And to just add on, I mean, Adoree Jackson, Christian Fulton, two guys that would be starting at the cornerback position, we just haven't been able to see them lately because of injuries. And so the injuries have really piled up on the defensive side of the ball, and the Titans have just been getting gashed. So, I mean, if I had to give a betting prop I would say if as long as you see 53 and a half and anything that is below 53 and a half take the over because I do expect this to be a higher scoring game and the Titans have scored at least 30 in the last three games combined but usually when the Titans this past week was the first time where the Titans had reached 30 and did not win the game so usually if they can put up the points the defense is able to come in in some form or fashion and help them out but 
again, it's it's been weird for special teams for the Titans this year and on defense, but look to see a heavy dose of Derrick Henry early on. I mean, that's to no one's surprise. It's just can you stop it? A lot of the times teams can't. And as you look at this game going back and forth, it's another exciting matchup just because, I mean, heck, we want to be entertained. But for Titans fans, they're like, I just see the team actually come out and show some energy after what we saw this past Sunday in Nissan Stadium. But, guys, I guess to kind of transition off that, go into our final thoughts prediction-wise. Denard, I will start with you because I know you hate it, so I'll let you get it out of the way. Whenever this game happens on Sunday, what are you – expecting that final score to be uh first of all i'm not going to make a prediction because right now no, uh, no, no, no i'm saying right now i'm disappointed first of all in phil james <laughs> and you guys because y'all have sat here during this whole podcast you've talked about trevor lawrence and justin fields now let me tell you all three of you something and i'm disappointed it makes me mad right now i'm sitting there i'm boiling because y'all have to Jones from Jacksonville, He's Florida, right now. Here's the ball. Tell y'all, what's wrong with y'all? You, I, I can't believe y'all have left him out of the equation. He is tightening up the number one team in the nation. Let, let me tell you something right now. Pro football focus is Mac Jones is graded higher than 2019 Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow. And y'all have left. You talk about Jacksonville's own. Mac, uh, I'll quit. That's all I got to say. Mac Jones. Why haven't y'all talked about Mac Jones? He's a hometown. Do you imagine the bring to Jacksonville. You imagine the fan base. He's from Jacksonville. He's the best quarterback in the I, – I quit. Y'all love Mac Jones, the number one team. Sorry, in the to, I can't sorry to hear that a once-in-a-generation talent in Trevor Lawrence will talk to Mac love. Jones, I just can't believe possibly it. a one-hit wonder. No, no way. <laughs> Starting. You Jay, guys correct me. Just like y'all did. Y'all did that. What's the kid from Southern California right now playing for the New York Jazz, Sam Donaldson? Everybody just thought he was the – sliced bread and I was telling them why in the world when I sat there and watched Ohio State about three years ago down at the Cotton Bowl play USC and Ohio State had a quarterback quarterback by the name of JT Bear you remember JT the all-time leading passer in Big Ten history nobody was talking about him they kept my sound on it I said man JT Baird is a lot better. Everybody said, you're crazy. I said, man, give him a chance. They didn't even give him a chance. They let him in the Saints. Then all of a sudden, I don't know, he's with the Saints. How can y'all not talk about Mac Jones? I'm disappointed, man. Jay, correct me so if I'm wrong. Mac, Mac Jones. So, sorry, Davey. Uh, I was prediction <laughs> out of him now. I don't know. I, we might just need to go ahead and move on to you guys. Right. Uh, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong. Mac Jones went to Bowles, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so that's what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why we don't talk about him because I, I don't think Jay and I would be allowed in the Bulls. Honestly, I don't think they us <laughs> on campus. Don't hate on private school, kids. <laughs> Knock it off, man. <laughs> Jay, you want to go ahead and go first with your prediction? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to. What I put in the paper that comes out tomorrow on Wednesday, it was uh, 24 to 27, uh, because I, I do fear. Like you guys have kind of alluded to that the Titans have the potential to let the Jazz stay around. And that's, I mean, that's been the thing with every, pretty much every team not named the Steelers they've played since their bye week. is like the other teams allow them to offensively stay around. And then, like Denard said, when James Robinson gets going, it's just hard to stop that guy. He's playing like a rookie of the year candidate, in my opinion. If he gets the award or not, that's another debate for another time. But 
if he gets going, uh, you know, it could be a dangerous thing as well as as Denard said, Chark. And uh, the guy we kind of didn't talk about is Chenault, who, you know, he he's kind of been dealing with injuries lately, but he's due for one of those games where he, you know, stands out. Albeit he did get a touchdown in the last game, but it was kind of a hokey ricochet type of play. Uh, but he's due for a game where what I'm saying is he's due for a game where he gets a pretty sizable amount of yardage as well. Yeah, I see. I definitely see it being very, very close. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee takes this opportunity to kind of really make a statement. Because like you said, David, they, they kind of need it after that performance against uh, against Cleveland. Now, a lot of people would say, well, you know, it's against Jacksonville. But just like we've talked about here today, this is not your average one-win team. And, of course, they, they, they did play each other tough early on in the year. I still see the Titans winning somewhere along the lines, 30 to 24 but I do think it's going to be very, very close uh, because, like I said, Jacksonville just, even though they don't have anything, you know, playoff-wise to play for, they're still playing for each other and that coaching staff. They all know that the writing's on the wall. They know what's going to happen the Monday right after the final game of the season. However, they're still in it, and they still have a lot to prove. So I, I definitely think it's going to be close. But if Tennessee is determined enough and, again, like Jay said, can prevent them from starting early, I also wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee comes out and just tries to punch him in the mouth. Yeah, I just – I really have no – this game is going to go. I mean, it's just – it's literally a coin flip for which Titans team shows up. But no matter, I mean, who they get, I, I do expect the Jacks to give them a, a – and it's just whether or not the Titans are able to pull away there at the end. Uh, if, if the Titans somehow do drop this game to the Jaguars, I know fans in Nashville and all of Tennessee are going to be fuming because – I mean, just the playoff implications that are on the line is the team's first chance to take over the AFC South since 2008. Titans last, every other team in the AFC South has won the division more recently than the Titans have. And so Titans would love to finally get over that hump and see what, you don't want to waste this type of offense. It's not often you have a guy, and even though people always revert back to his time at Miami, but Ryan Tannehill has been playing really, really well ever since he has taken over as a starter in Tennessee. And with Derrick Henry back there, who's on pace and really before this past weekend in the MVP conversation, which when the Titans get that far behind, he really comes out of the game plan. So if, if you the Titans get to where they can't use him, it's, it's going to show. But, I mean, I'm sure they're looking to have Derrick come back, really be a force to reckon with. And with that said, I, I do think the Titans pull away late, not as close as last time I expected to be about a 33 to 25 game. Yep. That's what I'll, uh, I'll go with on my, my prediction. Denard, if you want to fire in there one last time, I'll let you. If you've already quit and you've walked away uh, and I I'm, can't I'm tell. Fire, I'm fired right now. <laughs> 7400 Boulevard, um, Jacksonville, Florida. It's called Bulls Coed Day and Boarding School from pre-K grade 12. You guys have been hating. It's a Coed Day in college preparatory school in Jacksonville, Florida. Listen, if you want Duval County, you guys right now need to get on board with Denar Walker. I'm telling you right now, go out and get Mac Jones. You guys are going out here looking at Trevor Lawrence because he's 6'6 and Justin Fields. You forget who's the number one team in the nation right now and who's leading that team, Mac Jones. Nick Saban. <laughs> Mac Jones. Mac, hey, Nick Saban was out. It's Mac Jones, man. Steve Sarkeesian. I'm going to be honest. We talked a lot more about Mac Jones than I expected us to on this, uh, on this episode. Was I had no idea he was going to even get brought up. This. I had no idea Denard was going to go, go, go this way with it. Man, man. 
I remember I went to one game uh, when my when I was still in high school here, and, and uh, when when Mandarin High School, shout out to the Mustangs, played Bulls, and I just remember thinking, man, I'm surprised they didn't check my credit before I walked into this stadium. <laughs> 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 it's a nice school. I don't have anything personally against Bulls, but uh, I don't I don't know personally anybody that went to Bulls. If that's in my life, I don't know about you, Jay. <laughs> Me neither. Well, guys, yeah, say yeah. we don't have any friends that went to Bulls. <laughs> Well, guys, as we wrap up, I really appreciate you all joining us and us being able to get together and do this. These crossover shows have been a blast this season. I've honestly that is the last one that we're we're going to get to have. But before uh, we we part ways, where can the good people find you all at? Okay, you got you want me to do? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, guys, you know, uh, just like Believe in the Titans, you can find us anywhere you're listening to your podcasts, pretty much Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and tune in, of course, Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Both of these shows have Twitter pages. You can find us at Believe in Jags Pod. And, and then Davey, of course, let our audience know because we're going to be putting the same discussion in our episode. Let them know where we can find you and Denard as well. Certainly, you all can find us on Twitter, at Believe Titans, B-L-E-A-V-T-I-T-A-N-S. You can fo- follow Denard at Denard underscore M- at Davey underscore Hudson. That's D-A-V-E-Y. I got the E in there. But, no, guys, uh, really appreciate the time. Really enjoy talking with you all. And, as always, it's good to see you. Denard, any more Mac Jones stats you want to give before we part ways? No, man, you guys have got me fired up. You guys have yeah, – I mean, I'm sorry, I'm out of words. I'm speechless, man. I haven't. I just don't believe y'all have given him any love, and that's just that hurts me, man. I'll let you vent more after we get off here, okay? I was gonna say, Davey, we're leaving him with you, so we don't have to talk about <laughs> Mac Jones anymore. Yeah. But, <laughs> but we'll, no, we'll, we'll promote. Denard, if you want, we can have a, a, an entire episode just editing Jones. If, if is there a if that's what is, you want. is there a believe in Mac Jones podcast? Maybe you should reach out to to them. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, feel uh. <laughs> From here on out, just show the, the the Jacksonville quarterback some love. If I'm not mistaken, uh, this isn't Carson Beck from uh, Mandarin. If I'm not mistaken, he plays for Georgia so, yeah. right now. So we'll just dedicate our next podcast to Carson Beck and praising him. And you know, even though he's not starting yet, but we'll we'll get his. Out. At least you guys have quarterbacks. <laughs> Us ball fans, not so much. So, yeah, guys, well, all right, guys. Before we, uh, again, one more time, guys, before we got it, uh, David and Art, you know, you guys stay safe. Uh, honestly, I can probably speak for Jay, like linking up with you. We, we linked up with a lot of shows, but we had so, we had so much fun both times. Linking up with you guys was a lot of fun and we'll have to do it in the off season. I'm sure there's going to be like an AFC South, like round table kind of thing that I believe we'll put together and hopefully we can link up again soon. But yeah, every time we, both times we linked up with you guys, it was a lot of fun. So we appreciate it. guys hopefully you enjoyed that discussion again a lot of fun and, and shout out to Davey and Denard and Jay a lot more Mac Jones discussion than I expected uh, to talk about on a Tuesday evening in December <laughs> yeah yeah he just hit us out of left field with that and me and Phil was like wait where is he going with this where is he going I thought he was gonna say Zach Wilson or something or someone else like I did not ex- or Trey Lance I was not expecting Mac Jones yeah yeah so now we have to uh go into January and do a little bit better with giving Mac Jones some exposure on this end. 
And uh, I mean, like I said, man, like I will definitely be watching film on him because I mean, at that time of the year, that's what we do anyway. And also I'll be watching more of uh, not just because he's a Georgia Bulldog now, uh, go dogs, but I'll be watching some more of another Jacksonville quarterback, Carson Beck, who, uh, you know, maybe he ends up starting next year. It looks like JT Daniels might have that down on lock right now, but we'll see. Uh, so we'll, we'll show the Duval guys some love, you know, heading forward. Man, cannot wait until draft season. But let's move into the actual game that was played here this past Sunday, Jay. Uh, the Jags fell to the Vikings 27 to 24 in overtime. Once again, another competitive outing for the team. They actually led nine to six at halftime. Minnesota took a lot of time to get going, you know, and of course, a team that still has a lot to play for, Jay. They're right there in the NFC playoff picture, and they needed this game to stay on track. And at times, you know, it looked like Jacksonville was possibly going to pull this one out and get their second victory of the season. Now, the concern I don't think was too high on us because even if they did win, they still were going to hold that number two pick at least. It did make things a little bit more interesting and a little bit more complicated. Uh, now, I will admit to you guys, and I think a lot of our listeners can relate, I did miss the second half of this game uh, because I was in line at Walmart, who supposedly was about to get some PlayStation 5s in stock. And I was there for a couple of hours, and I was third in this line. And I'm sharing the story with you guys because you're family now. You listen to the show, and we appreciate you. So I was third in line at Walmart, waited for over two hours. And they come out, and they tell us they have two. Two PlayStation 5s in stock are coming off the truck, and yours truly was third in line. So I still have not secured the elusive PlayStation 5 and I do apologize uh, that I bailed on the Jaguars to go get one, but I feel like a lot of you listening and also a lot of people on the team would understand that I had to make that sacrifice. But Jay, overall, in terms of the game, you know, just as a, a really quick overview before we get look into offensive defense specifically, you know, what did you think about this team that continues to be competitive? Yeah, man. Um, and don't feel bad. First, before I, I would even get into that, I don't want to like uh, make this elongated process, but uh, don't feel bad about the PlayStation feel uh, because I had to, I forgot I had to write my USA Today article when halftime hit. So I missed some of the second half, a lot of the second half as well. And in terms of the PlayStation, a similar thing happened to me back when the PlayStation, uh, I think a month before it came out, I went to GameStop to get a pre-order. I was ninth in line and they only had eight. So, yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing was me and the, the person that was in front of me was actually pregnant. So, I mean, even if I would have got there ahead of her, I think I probably would have gave up my spot for her anyway, because like, you know, so there were really two people in front of me. Honestly, you were actually. Yeah, 10. Yeah. So, <laughs> I wouldn't gonna like make an expecting mother like miss out on that opportunity after standing there for hours, you know, like that would have been messed up. It, you know, it is the holidays and it's time to give more than receive, I guess. So I, I, I will say to kind of uh, add to that, the, the woman who was getting a console for her husband, who was second in line that I got to talk to a lot. Very, very nice. I, her, I celebrated that win with her. However, I was still heartbroken, but still very happy for her. I don't know if she'll ever listen to this because I didn't get, get her name or exchange pleasantries, but she was very nice. And I hope that your husband understands the sacrifice that you went through to get that console because we were in the trenches trying to get it. So I, at least that happened. Same with the lady in front of me, you know, not only was she expecting, but she had like two or three kids with her 
And I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, look, man, this woman is a keeper coming out here for her, her husband and doing this. Like, you know, me and Phil are single. Like, well, where are y'all getting these women from that that's riding or dying for y'all? <laughs> like, this and standing in line for PlayStations uh, for y'all, man. Because we we need to find uh, that that grail of women, man. Uh, but I digress from the point. Uh, the actual game in itself. Uh, was a a rather interesting one in a sense like my biggest takeaway from it was uh and you could tell by the articles i've written in the first half feel uh how the jaguars came out and just punched the titans or the vikings excuse me in the mouth and Kirk cousins and it was looking like if that momentum carried that the vikings weren't going to win that game you know they needed to turn on the switch and they needed to turn it on rather quickly and you know uh thankfully for our draft positioning they did but if I can recall at halftime, right, the Vikings only had 115 yards, like, total. You know, and, like, Kirk Cousins was, like, running for his life, couldn't get passes off, so on and so forth. I think they scored, like, late in the second quarter in that game. So, like, before halftime, they started to show a little bit of life. Uh, but the Jacksonville Jaguars were all over them. And I think a big reason for that was because players that hadn't ordinarily stepped up were stepping up. You know, like I've I've talked about this. Actually, that was my last article. Kalevon Chason had his best game, had five pressures in this game. And, you know, that's encouraging because he hasn't looked all that great, you know. And, and granted, like part of it is the team isn't giving him a lot of snaps on the field or, or the necessary snaps on the field. So it was good to see him awaken, you know, because, you know, he's a first round pick just as C.J. Henderson is. And that's intriguing. And, you know, like he does need to uh get get some momentum going heading into next season because the next staff is going to look at him he's going to be one of the keys the next staff look at and and you know they're going to have to figure out what to do to get him going and making him a valuable piece of the franchise so that was good to see from him Trey uh Herndon was another one who you know we've been calling him out and he struggled mightily but Trey Herndon was very very active led the team in tackles if I'm not mistaken with uh, eight or nine or somewhere in there it might have been even 10 but you know he was a guy like yeah, eight, eight, eight solo eight solo so yeah like he was a guy that I even saw him hit Dalvin Cook in the backfield one time so you know like typically when a receiver is an active tackler sometimes that's not a good thing uh but this was a guy that was making tackles close to the line of scrimmage so it actually was a good thing so shout out to Trey Herndon and the game he's had because we've talked about him in the past and how he's a penalty machine and how he struggled but uh, you know, there was him and uh, DeJuan Smoot, who me and you talked about before uh, actually recording this. It's like something about him. He just turns on this switch during the last stretch of the season. And we're seeing that now. Uh, so, you know, he was pretty disruptive in terms of getting to the pass rusher or to the passer. And Kirk Cousins making his day uh, pretty much hell, at least in the beginning. And, uh, yeah, again, like after that, I guess, like, you know, it just became a matter of they kind of turned it on. They figured it out in the second half and then in halftime I did see or uh overtime should I say I did see a good majority of that I think like at that point the Jaguars might have been burnt out you know like because Dalvin Cook was having success running the ball when he wasn't like having that same type of success especially in the first half uh so you know like you expect that and as they heard in the podcast as well it was a matter of like Denard said with young teams young teams just don't know how to finish you know, and that's a common variable you're going to see with the top 10 teams in the draft order is none of them know how to finish. We know we know that's sure as hell the case with the Jets 
and that's part of <laughs> that's partly because of Greg Williams. Shout outs to the former Jaguars coordinator that uh you know Denar actually played for uh and, and uh, that he spoke highly on. Like and me and Phil aren't surprised that happened, but that's another story for another time. But you know, that's all that happened in the end. The Jaguars finished like a team that is the youngest team in the league, which they are. Yeah, and, and like you said, you know, with key guys out on, on defense, of course, they were without Josh Allen, they're without CJ Henderson, uh, Sidney Jones didn't play either. You know, without those guys, uh, again, the youth movement here in Jacksonville continues to play very well. You already talked about Smoot. Uh, we're going to coin the phrase Smoot season because he loves playing at this time of the year. He just looks absolutely dominant. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, Caleb on had his best game as a rookie as well. I think a lot of fans were were happy to see Joe Schobert, of course, getting involved. He had a sack as well as the pick six. So, you know, he looked pr- pretty good. And, you know, Jay, you, you continue to harp on this, and I know you've, you've also mentioned it over on Twitter as well. You know, this team is just becoming more and more of an attractive destination the, the longer the season goes and the more competitive they continue to be. And they're going to have an opportunity, on the, you know, the last few games of the season to continue to show they can be competitive against four pretty solid teams. I mean, the Bears, that's kind of a toss-up, but against the Titans, Ravens, Bears, and Colts, they have an opportunity if they, you know, continue to play this way, they have an opportunity to really just continue to strengthen their own resume in terms of presenting this job to a new coach and a new GM. Yeah, when you mentioned and listed off those teams, it wouldn't be shocking if all of those games ended up competitive like we've seen, you know, and the last, what, three or four or four or five that the Jaguars have played, They've lost by like four or less, you know, aside from the Steelers game. So, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if the Jaguars came, especially when looking at how these teams are playing. It, it wouldn't shock me if the Jaguars came and stuck with the Titans. Hell, they did it week two, you know, like when the Titans were healthy and like fully operating. It wouldn't be surprising to see that. It wouldn't be surprising to see them stick with uh, the, the Chicago Bears, who have questionable play at quarterback. They went from Nick Foles to Mike Glennon again, or, or excuse me, Mitch Trubisky again. Uh, it wouldn't be surprising to see the Jaguars play the Baltimore Ravens tough. And that, you know, if you would have asked us that before the season, we would have said the Ravens are going to mop the floor with them. But the Ravens are struggling, ladies and gentlemen. Like, they're trying to find themselves in some way, shape, or form. And it's weird to see because they've established this dominance over time that, you know, we're not used to seeing them like this. And then, you know, you got the Indianapolis Colts who will probably be playing for a playoff spot in that last game in the season finale. Uh, But again, look, the Jacksonville Jaguars know their divisional opponents. They play them well. And let's not forget the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Colts week one because that's their only victory. Imagine if they go two and 14 and both their wins against the Colts are against the Colts. I would love to just rub that in the face of the Colts fans, as I think a lot of the division would. But no, you know, and as of right now, you talk about the Ravens game, uh, the Ravens, they have been kind of struggling. They are currently up at the time of recording on the Dallas Cowboys, who ironically is my other team, but they're they're currently beating the Cowboys 24 to 10. Uh, But I mean, that's a Cowboys roster that's just absolutely depleted. And we won't even get into all the Des Bryant stuff that happened tonight. (laughs) We're just kind of, we don't, honestly, we don't have time to get into it but you know jay we really uh you know as we mentioned we didn't get a chance to look at this game like the way we normally do so we i just kind of want to fast forward ahead to kind of look at the statistics and then also give out the game ball on the offensive and defensive side of things because we have a lot to talk about here you know offensively you had mike lennon 28 of 42 280 yards 
a touchdown and two interceptions. You know, he just shows you that he is who he is. You know, Mike Lennon, he's he's not really going to win you a whole lot of games, but he might not necessarily lose you too many games either. But uh, J- James Robinson, of course, continues to look good. 18 carries, 78 yards, six catches for 30 yards. I think he's just continuing to strengthen his rookie of the year uh, candidacy. Now, of course, with him not being a quarterback, it's going to be really, really tough, especially with the season. Uh, that Justin Herbert is having. Uh, But I got to shout out my guy, Colin Johnson, four catches, 66 yards. He, of course, had the big two-point conversion catch here at the end of the game as well to send it into overtime. And as I mentioned in our discussion with Believe in the Titans, Jay, you know, it seems like Colin Johnson's really coming on as of late. And I know Jaguar Twitter has been noticing as well because they've they've been starting to clamor for him to get more playing time over Chris Conley. And, of course, that's strictly a football thing when we talk about Chris Conley off the field one of the best guys you'll ever find but on the field it seems like Colin Johnson was probably brought in for that reason to replace uh, Chris Conley you know he, he he's he's performing that way and I don't know about you but he gets my vote for offensive game ball I don't I don't know maybe I'm a little biased I'm, I'm a little biased yeah I agree with you I mean I think he's the guy that's the most worthy of a game ball offensively because like you, you know while the Jaguars offense did have a, a decent game I mean, aside from Mike Glennon with the turnover problems that he had, you know, whether it was fumbles or uh, picks, uh, I, I think, yeah, when you look at it from a statistical standpoint, like nobody really like just, uh, you know, really popped out from their perspective. But Colin Johnson, yeah, as you said, like he has grown uh, a lot over these last few weeks. And, you know, I believe it, it might be due to, you know, having Mike Glennon behind center because, you know, different different quarterbacks favor different receivers at times. And, uh, you know, I, I think like, you know, Mike Glennon might have more of an affinity for, you know, a guy uh, like, like Colin Johnson, six, six, you know, 224 pound or just huge target that you can hit or, or whatever the case may be. But that being said, I'm glad to see Colin Johnson doing what he's doing because I really liked him. Um, I had a good feeling we would draft him, but I just never went with it. And uh, here we are, you know, like, just another guy in that rookie class from 2019 or, or 2020 uh, before when this season ends, we're going to look back at this rookie class and definitely say it's probably a top five class in the league. When you compare them to other teams And Colin Johnson is now contributing to that uh, because, you know, earlier in the season, like he wasn't there. Like, so now you can add him into that factor and what have you. And then, you know, they're receiving what they're receiving out of the undrafted James Robinson, man. Like, so, you got some late round guys for him, man. That's just really balling out for him and, and showing up for him. 100%. I will tell you this, Jay, and maybe this is just a product of the season. I did go online to fanatics to try and get a Colin Johnson Jersey for myself. And they're pretty much sold out for almost all size, except for the, the really, really large sizes. So I don't know if that's his family buying them up or, or who it is, but I didn't think there'd be a huge demand. I should have bought one earlier. Uh, but with that being said, I mean, moving to the defensive side of the ball, or the, the defensive game ball, I should say. I mean, it's really kind of a toss-up here. Jay, I'll leave it up to you because I'm okay with giving it to either Smoot or Kayla Vaughn, and then maybe even an honorable mention to Joe Schobert, who, of course, has taken his uh, criticism from the Jaguar fan base this season, and understandably so. Uh, but he did have a solid outing, again, with the sack and the interception, but I am leaning more towards Smoot and Kayla Vaughn. Uh, which one of those two do you think deserve more? Or I guess we can just kind of split it up and give it to both of them. <laughs> Yeah, man, like, why not give it to, like, like, why not split it up and give it to Kayla One and Smoot? I mean, 
Because the thing with Smoot or Kalevon, should I say, is like people have been so critical of him, and now it's time to give him his props. You know, so why not give the young man his props, and hopefully, you know, he can uh, string some more games together like that late in the season. Uh, because again, like that's important to the next regime because they're going to inherit him, and you know, they're going to need a pass rusher not named Josh Allen to also step up, and they're going to need somebody in the interior to step up as well. And we seem to think that's Devon Hamilton. So. The game that Calevon had, quite impressive. Uh, glad to see him show up as well. And then, you know, Smoot is a guy that, you know, we low-key, we've kind of been Smoot fans on this podcast. Uh, and, you know, this is just kind of indicative of what I was saying uh, earlier in the year. He's coming up on the contract year and uh, looks like he has a lot left in the tank to finish the season strong. So, We'll be watching him as well. I mean, we could see, like, those two guys in general, like, really have a surge late in the season with Josh Allen out. Um, and you don't know if they're going to bring Josh Allen back. I probably wouldn't flirt with another knee injury, uh, knee injury with Josh Allen, and I would keep him out personally. So why not let those two guys, you know, be the, the pass rushers uh, that, you know, your main guys heading forward with these last four games? Exactly. You know, Smoot is kind of a known commodity. I think we kind of know – what we uh, what we're gonna get out of him, but also he's a fan favorite, so I don't think anybody would be too upset with see him getting getting more playing time. And then Calevon, like like you said, you just really want to see more growth out of him as the the season winds down, because like you said, uh, Josh Allen is obviously going to need a running mate. He's not going to be able to do it on on his own. And again, he has been getting unwarranted criticism from the fan base. I just really don't understand it. I think a lot of it is kind of just trolling or, or, you know, just having fun at his expense. But uh, I think a lot of it is, or I think some of it is kind of genuine, which is, which is very, very strange to me, but yeah, I'm okay with that. We'll split the game ball between Caleb on and, uh, and Smoot as well. So that, that, that works, but it, that, that's it as far as covering, you know, this, uh, this past game, before we get into some more lot J discussion here, uh, here with you, Jay, uh, I do want to talk about, of course, last week I missed the episode after Dave Caldwell was let go. And honestly, it didn't surprise me too much. Uh, of course, I, I knew what was going to happen. I think really the kind of the timing took me off guard a little bit. But I mean, th there was a ongoing joke on Twitter in, in Jaguars Twitter that said only allowed Dave Caldwell to draft from the third round and on <laughs> and, and he would be a great GM. And you're kind of seeing that this season, right? We just talked about it with guys like Colin Johnson or a guy, an undrafted guy like James Robinson showing up and playing very, very well. I mean, hell, even Chris Claybrooks, who has been very irritating at times in terms of his play on the field has shown up a little bit here and there over the last couple of weeks with all of the injuries. Uh, but then when you look at other guys, you know, that they've had, of course, when you look at the Yannick and Gokwe's, you look at the GJ Sharks, Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns, all the kind of guys that he has found. And he just never hit on that quarterback, right? He just never, he, of course, he was tied to Blake Bortles for, for too long. And who, how much of that had to do with Tom Coughlin? I don't know that we'll ever know until the book is written and the tell all book comes out. But it, it, it wasn't 100% surprising. And Jay, let me ask you this question before I continue. So, you know, for a guy that's in the situation of Dave Caldwell, where, you know, I'm sure these GMs and these front office guys know how the team is performing and they know possibly that they're going to be on the way out. What exactly is a GM doing at this time of the year when a team is one and eight, one and nine? Are they 
proactively looking ahead already towards the draft process or free agency? What's their primary job function, you know, during the season when it's not going very well? Well, I feel like for Dave Caldwell, he was probably looking deeply into the draft and he was probably looking deeply into the draft knowing that it's a chance that he would be fired as well when looking at how the season was going. But I say that because, you know, I go back to it's a lot of memories Dave Caldwell has has left us with and a lot of uh, press conference tidbits that he's left us with. And I can recall, you remember when they drafted Blake Bortles, the big thing he kept harping on was like, hey, you know, we had Blake Bortles graded high dating back to November. You know, and here we are. What was it? Uh, November when he got fired, at least. Uh, so that to me, that was an indication of what he would be doing around that time. Just mentioning November and mentioning how heavily they had put together their draft board and all of that. So he was probably putting together a draft board, looking at draft prospects. And at the same time, he was probably doing that knowing that he would have to use that draft board and that draft insight for another team as well. So, I mean, like, you never stop working because, you know, another team is going to pick you up. Make no mistake about it. Somebody else is going to get him. Um, you know, you could argue that, he, I mean, he'll probably get a, you know, a lieutenant job, a, a executive or player personnel job or something under the GM job or whatever. I seem to think, like, he's going to follow Thomas Dimitrov wherever Thomas Dimitrov goes. That's his buddy. Uh, Thomas Dimitrov is how Dave Caldwell ended up in Jacksonville because j- just being his lieutenant for years and, them putting together the seasons they had with the Falcons back then. So, I mean, like, I got this crazy wild prediction that I've been having in my head. I haven't really spoke on it. But I think that the Houston Texans might get Thomas Dimitrov when looking um, at, like, their vacancy. And then I also think Dave Caldwell will follow him there to be, you know, the second in command there. So, like, I think Dave Caldwell might end up as a lieutenant for a divisional rival now, which – I mean, that might fit him better because he's a better scout than team builder and decision maker, uh, maker probably. So, I mean, that's just, you know, that's just a wild guess I want to throw out there. I don't know, like, where he'll truly end up. I don't have a source on that, but I wouldn't be shocked at the same time. That makes a lot of sense because remember, uh, I remember when coming out of this past draft, when they asked him about uh, LaVisca Chenault and they were talking about how they had him ranked as their number one receiver last season. So, you know, he's probably doing a lot of this way in advance and uh, uh, yeah so uh, of course as you mentioned he's going to find a job and probably relatively quickly as well if he ended up in Houston that would definitely be very interesting because you know of course they have a lot of rebuilding to do as well and you know of course I'll never have sympathy for a division rival but you and I have been very vocal about how big of fans we are Deshaun Watson and I can't imagine having a talent like that and you saw him this past weekend Jay I'm sure you saw that video of him just defeated and ty hilton coming up and checking up on him man like a guy with that kind of talent to just be i i feel like i i can't even imagine how he's feeling but anyway i digress yeah dave caldwell's tenure here is just going to be going to be remembered for a lot of the the later round misses i'm sorry the later round hits that he got but more so of course for the early round uh, early round misses and then just not being able to repair relationships with guys like jalen ramsey unique and and uh, Allen Robinson, of course, you know, and, and again, as I mentioned before, who knows how much of that he was hampered by when Tom Coughlin was brought in and, you know, he probably wasn't done any favors. However, I will remember him much more fondly than the Gene Smith era. 
And I think not that he had to do too much, but lest we forget Jaguar fans, how bad it was, you know, just eight, nine years ago before he showed up and it's bad now, but it was worse, believe, which is strange when you look at, you know, even though there are some misses, I mean, they don't compare to the Reggie Williams and the Matt Joneses and the Blaine Gabberts and, and Tyson ended up being a solid player, right? But not worthy of being taken where he was. Derek Harvey's. So I'll remember it better than that era, but still a lot of missed opportunity because a lot of talent has come through here and they just have not been able to put it together. And I think that's my main takeaway from, um, from Dave Caldwell being let go. I am selfishly going to campaign for Daniel Jeremiah uh, because he low-key but uh, not really so much offered us jobs unofficially. He didn't say it straight up, Jay, but I feel like he was kind of letting us know, hey, when I get this job, uh, I'm bringing y'all in. I, I kind of picked up on that. I don't know if you did. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, man. Dude, like one thing me and you have learned in the journalism field, right, is that we've now, we're now seeing this new wave, right, where – Journalists are now getting opportunities to be GMs or go to the front office. So, you know, <laughs> who's to say, like, we can't go from podcasters to uh, being in the Jaguars front office in some capacity? Look, heck, man, we don't even have to do with football operations. Uh, give us media jobs there. We'll take media jobs there, Daniel. You know, like, we, we're flexible, reasonable guys. Just, you know, just look out for the little guys when you get there, man. Daniel, I'll go get you, I'll go get you coffee, man. If you if it's for the right salary, I don't give a crap. What I'll just, just, just Jay's asking right. for something high level. I will go run your errands. <laughs> Look, man, isn't Einstein Brothers down the street from the stadium? Uh, like the the coffee shop. Look, you have like a couple blocks to walk. I mean, that's good money just to walk a few blocks to get some coffee. I'm just saying, like I don't blame you. So. <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, but yeah, shout outs to DJ, man. Maybe we could try and get him on uh, later in the season, even if, you know, he, he might be busy. It's not just with scouting, but, you know, he might have some interviews to take care of. But we'll, interviews, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, at the same time, like, I do want to hear a scout's take on some of these guys because, look, the Jaguars are going to be so high in the draft order. It's not even funny. So we'll see, though. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, good luck to DJ, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, whoever the next G, uh, whoever the next GM is, Jay, they will likely have to wait a little bit longer as the city of Jacksonville is in terms of the lot J development. And some interesting comments came out today and uh, it came from a Twitter thread by Mike Mendenhall, who is a government affairs reporter for Jack's Daily Record. And uh, this was a, it was kind of a press conference, Jay, if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong, what, or is just a statement? What was this? Uh, I think it was like more like a, a city council meeting, uh, but the city council didn't necessarily uh, have this meeting to discuss Lot J. It wasn't for Lot J, but I think this was just one of the topics from like how I gathered it. And I haven't really been to be on Twitter like that today, but from how I gather, gathered it, this was just one of the topics they brought up in their latest city council meeting. Right. And so now the vote is scheduled for January 7th, which of course will be a couple of days after the season ends, at least for most of the NFL and Jaguars attorney slash lobbyist, Paul Harden 
um, had some comments. And the tweet that's getting the most attention here, Jay, is something from Mark Lamping as well as Harden, where it says, Lamping and Harden argue the Jaguars owner Shad Khan is taking a risk too. With more than $200 million in private capital investment, Lamping said the Jaguars have been, quote, a free agent team, end quote, since he purchased the team in 2012. Lamping added on that the Jaguars are still in Jacksonville. Thanks for that, Mark. We appreciate it. Just so you guys know, breaking news, the team is still in Jacksonville. Uh, (laughs) Paul Harden uh, said, quote, don't you think for one minute people haven't encouraged Khan to look at other cities like St. Louis? He likes Jacksonville, Harden said. And (laughs) we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Jay. Uh, This is kind of how it all starts, right? I've seen fans that were in St. Louis comment on ongoing proceedings in terms of Jacksonville or the Shad Khan and the NFL eventually uh, asking for some kind of stadium upgrades, which as we covered in the past would be at least 400 to $500 million. We're about to fund an excess amount of money into this lot J project, which really, of course it will have benefit to the city, but a lot of it and most of it is going to benefit Shad Khan can you know, continue to benefit him. Um, you made a statement before we started, Jay, that this was Harden and Mark Lamping speaking to politicians, not necessarily speaking to a fan base. I want you to kind of elaborate on that because I think the context is very, very important here because a lot of Jaguar Twitter is seeing this and they're saying, okay, here we go. 10 years out away from our, the lease, you know, coming to an end. And we already have the president of the team essentially, holding i guess how how am i going to put this essentially threatening the city by saying you know well we we can shop elsewhere if we want but we want to be here in jacksonville holding them hostage it seems right exactly so yeah what do you what do you think about this um and elaborate on what you mean by you know he was speaking more so to politicians than directly to the fan base yeah well first and foremost i want to say that what he said crossed the line and he probably shouldn't have said it. Like, you know, on, on normal terms, like that was when he said it too. And when the tweet came out, I was like, that's something that's liable to get the average person at the average job fired for saying, saying something like that when speaking for their boss or whatever the case may be. Uh, but again, at the same time, what I mean by in the conversation me and you had is, Uh, by saying that he's speaking to politicians is when you speak to politicians, the conversations that you have with them sometimes rear their ugly head. We see it all the time in, in on TV with uh, Congress and the Senate and so on and so forth with, you know, trying to get this bill passed, that bill passed, whatever the case may be. Uh, This country is very divided much like we see on national politics or on the national politic level, uh, this situation with Lot J is a, a, a situation where they're, the people are very divided at the top that have, you know, a key in this, uh, whether that's the politicians, whether that's the Jaguar side of things, uh, this, that, and the other. So basically, you know, when you get in that kind of a situation, what you have is Mark Lamping using these kind of, uh, if you will, threatening cutthroat type of, at the same time, beating around the bush type of, uh, conversations with the politicians, you know, and the city council and so on and so forth. 
And again, like going back to, I might might have said this on the podcast before, but I think Shad Khan and his camp knows that he's probably the richest guy to ever come through Jacksonville. And, you know, they keep dangling that over the city council's head. Like, hey, you got this guy that's willing to invest this, that, and the other more than anybody has ever been willing to invest. Uh, but the issue is, you know, like some of this money is private, you know, and, and it's a lot of, you know, shady details that they haven't really elaborated on deeply to explain exactly like how much Shad Khan is actually going to p- be putting in. Like, you know, I see stuff like, yeah, he's going to put in 200000 in private money. OK, so explain to us what private money is. Break that down. Be more uh, elaborate more on that. You know, give us more details on that. And from how Nate Monroe has said it in the, in the Times Union, it seems like they're being shady on that kind of stuff. And then not to mention like the the 60 million dollar or the 60 million plus dollar loan that they want to take from taxpayers. Uh, when again, like and this is another point that Nate Monroe makes about the situation is. Why not just take that from the bank? You know, it looks shady that you want that from the taxpayers because you could cheat the taxpayers out of that money. You can't cheat a bank out of that money. You're going to have to pay them. And that's, you know, that's where the fans are with this. And that's where the city council is with this. Why do, you know, the fans have to give you and the taxpayers have to give you a loan on this? And the Jaguars on their side and Lampin's side and Cohen's side aren't answering these questions. Therefore, you have a situation where we have to go into January and, uh, you know, like that way, a tech, uh, a auditor can look more deeply into the, you know, the coded language and this, that and the other and further evaluate this thing for the city council side. Because basically, Lenny Curry and company were trying to rush them into this. And, you know, that's politics. That's what me and you were talking about. That's the political side of it. You get into the political aspect of it where uh, people try and rush you into these rush decisions, so on and so forth. But it's not that easy if you're the city council because you are making a decision on behalf of the taxpayers who don't necessarily have a voice in the court or wherever these meetings are held. Yeah, I I really like the point you make where you say uh, if a if someone outside of the job that they're in now said something so reckless, it would get them fired or terminated because this whole front office regime and, and I'm talking about Shad Khan and, and Lamping and and now Harden, who admittedly I didn't know who this was before today, is is kind of operating without any kind of um, without any sort of repercussion, it seems. And like you mentioned, you know, they keep going back to the well of, well, look how much Shad Khan is investing into the city. Look how much he's he's done while he's been here. And Jay, you made the point before we started. Shotcon doesn't own a house here. Tony Khan doesn't own a house here. What kind of investment and what kind of, I mean, Shotcon's really only around when he's here to talk about the next venture that's going to make him money. Right. And so I don't get I, this whole thing. You know, like saying for Tony too. Right. Tony here when it's time to watch a Jaguars game or it's draft. It's around the draft time and it's time to sit in the front office, whatever the case may be, or it's time to uh, have uh, a AEW uh, dynamite tape and he's backstage for that. Uh, but when it concerns yeah. a Jacksonville matter, uh, aside from, like I said, the draft and all of that, you know, these guys aren't really here when when it concerns anything outside of the Jaguars or meeting with Lenny Curry or whatever the case may be. And as you said, me and you had the discussion you know, if he likes Jacksonville so much, you know, why doesn't he own 
a land here in terms of a home or a mansion or whatever the case may be, or Tony Khan or whatever the case may be, if he liked it so much. Uh, so I think that's the fans' perspective of it. Exactly. So, I mean, again, we're 10 years away from the lease being up and the it coming down to a vote. And I, I hope it doesn't come down to the wire, but right now it's, you know, $200 million or X amount of million dollars that he wants from the taxpayer. What's it going to be in five years when we need to upgrade the stadium? You know, and as we've mentioned time and time again on this show, if you've been paying attention, if you've been following us, we're already almost halfway to the stadium renovation anyway. But we, for some reason, have tried to streamline and, and the mayor of Jacksonville has tried to push this deal through for a fancier St. John's Town Center. And that's something that I that's something that Blythe, when she came on, shout out to her, said it so made such a good example. We don't want another town center, but that's what we're going to get. It's going to have an NBC sports bar. It's going to have an Urban Outfitters or something like that. And and that's what we're going to get. It's just going to be in a different location and it's going to be a lot more expensive and they're going to put some apartments down there just like they did with the town center for those of you that are here locally. So this isn't about uplifting the culture of Jacksonville. It's about funding Shad Khan's bottom line, continuing to fund his bottom line so that he can just watch from afar and, and watch his, watch his, you know, his investment grow. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, because we, we know what this is all about. When Lampin says stuff like, you know, we're a free agent team. In other words, we could have left, but we haven't left yet. Well, the only reason you're sticking around is because you guys feel, in my opinion, that there are other revenue streams that you can pump into get on, on top of getting what you're getting from the Jaguars. And I think like the, the best way to explain it is like as journalists, right? In journalist terms for, you know, me and you, your case. You, a lot of times what you see with journalists is that they don't do one thing. They have multiple avenues of income. And that is what Shah Khan is trying to do here is get multiple avenues of income. Prime example, you have the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm talking about he's trying to get income from different streams of income from Jacksonville. You have the Jaguars, of course. Uh, then he wanted uh, Daly's place, right? That's another, like, and you hear Mark Lampin say it all the time, like, we need more streams of income uh, into, you know, he won't say it this way, but basically more streams of income into Shad Khan's pocket. Uh, but he'll say the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, so you have Lot J uh, as, a, as another potential stream of income. And I, I think that's what Shad Khan is trying to do. Yeah, I, I'll stay in Jacksonville, but I need, like, five, six, seven streams of income with it. You know, I need a lot, Jay. I need a shipyards project. We all heard about the, uh, the, I think it's a hotel he's trying to build where Met Park is, basically. This is not even including the hotel that he's trying to build on lot, Jay. He wants to build another one across the street, high-rise uh, hotel, you know, this hotel for, fan, you know, people that me and you definitely can't afford to stay there for more than a day, probably, or whatever the case may be. But he wants to build another hotel on that side of uh, the stadium or whatever the case may be. So you're looking at two hotels that he wants uh, to basically put income into his pocket. Now, and look, man, they'll swing it to where they'll probably say, like, you know, this is more benefiting Jacksonville than Shad Khan. But at the end of the day, that feels like uh, the bargaining chip here is like Shad Khan will stay in Jacksonville if he has six, seven, eight streams of income 
or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, the, the unfortunately, what he's asking for to get these streams of income is to spend the taxpayers' money to do that. And a lot of people aren't down with that. And you can't blame the taxpayers for not wanting to, uh, to do these things. I mean, like a prime example is like, you know, Shah Khan is asking for money to build this fancy Four Seasons hotel. And then, like I read the other day that somebody's trying to build a, a hotel in the Brooklyn district uh, I think it might be Hilton or some other big hotel chain. And they're asking for little to no taxpayer money. You know, like, so developers want to build in Jacksonville and they want to do it for a more reasonable asking price. And when you see that and then you see what Shad Khan is asking for, you know, you can understand why the fans are upset about this. And uh, here we are, man. Like, you know, like we keep having this conversation. Me and you would prefer to not have to talk about the city aspect in terms of, you know, taxpayer dollar, this, that, and we should only have to speak about the football aspect of this. But since shotgun has been here, me and you have continually had to speak on city council matters on economic matters, which that's kind of out of our job range in terms of, you know, aside from, you know, like here, yeah, we need some stadium renovations here and there. That's that comes with every team, but we're touching on this stuff a lot more than we should have to as journalists that are covering a football team. Exactly. And because, <laughs> believe it or not, we are a football podcast. However, Shad Khan's actions, and because you and I have such close ties to the city, as a lot of other Jaguar podcasts do, you know, we're all pretty much based here in town. And Jay, you're here all the time. So uh, this does impact you. It impacts your family. It impacts me. It impacts a lot of people that listen to this show. So it's important that you guys know what is going on because maybe you're not on Twitter. Maybe you're not following these kinds of threads, which is why we think it's important to have these kinds of discussions because we need to hold them accountable. Now, of course, Shad Khan isn't on Twitter, and that's probably a good call. <laughs> but Tony, Now, Tony Khan is, and of course, the team is as well. And, you know... Uh, you know, as the fan, as the taxpayer, you know, you, you kind of at some points you just feel really helpless. But I will say that, you know, I do appreciate uh, these men and women on the city council because they know they know that this deal is not good for the taxpayer and for this city. But also, as you mentioned off air, Jay, you know, they don't want to be the city council that was in charge that was the first stepping stone leading to the Jaguars leaving town. Because as I've mentioned before, the Jaguars probably shouldn't have a football team to begin with. Now that doesn't mean that I'm not happy that they're here. And that doesn't mean that I don't hope that they are here forever. But the fact in and of itself, that this team, that this city has a team, an NFL franchise is kind of a miracle. And I think a lot of people that remember that day in 1993, 1994, whenever it was the team, that got granted to us, you, you understand that it's a little bit of a miracle. So I, I, I get where the city council may be in a, in a tough spot um, to try and figure this thing out. Yeah. And I'll add this on too. Yeah. Like, wow. You know, we can make the argument that, you know, the Jacksonville shouldn't have gotten the Jaguars, but the argument can also be made that they've also proven that they deserve the team too. And I say that in a sense of 100%. Absolutely since they've gotten them and since especially okay we'll go this far with it since Shad Khan has inherited the team or bought the team from Wayne Weaver let's not forget the Jacksonville Jaguars went from under uh I, I guess they were around 800 to 900 million in value and now they've crossed the billion mark you know what I'm saying so like they've 
they've increased in terms of value ever since Shad Khan has had them. And you have to attest that to some of the fans to a degree. I know, like, the NFL takes their money from one big pot. Uh, but let's not forget, man, like, it, you know, since Shad Khan has gotten this team, that's the issue with this thing is, like, he keeps wanting more and more streams of revenue when his uh, income is increasing, you know, and his uh, – his net worth is increasing since he's had the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the crazy thing about it, and, the, you know, this ain't going to shock anybody. Part of the luxury of the, having an NFL team is you can lose such, in, you know, however many games you lose. Uh, in Shad Khan's case, 100 plus, and still get revenue from it, a good amount of revenue from it. And that's exactly what he's doing. And, you know, like, from that perspective, that's why it doesn't sit well with the taxpayers that, hey, like, your money and your revenue is increasing year by year from this team, and you're not doing your side of the deal. You know, you're not holding your end of the bargain. Let's not forget. We can't forget this. In his first press conference, he sat there at a podium and held up a ticket and said he was going to make it the hottest ticket in town. Here we are, and it's not the hottest ticket in town right now. You know, you could argue that, you know, I don't watch the Iceman or the Jumbo Shrimp, but I'm sure they're more competitive. AW is probably the hottest ticket in town right now. <laughs> right. Right. So like that was and that was something he opened his mouth and said and brought up. And they haven't been that. Meanwhile, the Jacksonville Jaguars fan base have held their end of the bargain and supported the team through all of these losses. Uh, but we still don't have the hottest or the team isn't the hottest ticket in town. So, uh, you know, to that, ex when you look at it from that degree, then. Yeah, he needs to step up, get his job done on his end, and, and produce a winning team. And then, like, you know, Blythe hit it on the head. The last thing I'm going to touch on is, like, you know, when Lampy makes comments like this about the team being a free agent and having the opportunity to, at least that's how I gathered it, to go somewhere else, St. Louis, whatever the case may be. Um, and then you hear Shaq kind of mention viability, right? I mean, you you mean, like, we're not viable enough to get two games back or one game back from London, but we're viable enough to take 233 million from like you, at this point, you're slapping us in the face and being disrespectful as, as Blythe put it. And she put that tweet out there. And uh, you know, like it's just, it's just terrible to see because they've handled this as a, a organization. They've handled their city relations very, very poorly. And uh, hopefully, you know, it starts trending in the right direction next month, but we'll see. Right. So, of course, we had to address that, uh, those comments that were made today, because, uh, again, we feel like it would be we would be irresponsible as a show if we just kind of let it uh, slide under the rug or, or just let everybody else kind of, you know, digest it however they want to. And also because, like I said, maybe some of you don't know that these comments were out there and, and being made, but um, either way. You know, Jay and I, we, we love this team. And as frustrating as it's it's become, it, you know, you've, dating all the way back to the second game in London, you know, it feels like it's just been this steady stream of uh, of just crap coming from coming from the ownership and, and, and their team. And we're going to continue to hold them accountable, as I know all of the fan base will as well. But, you know, Jay, this has been a, a longer than usual episode. Of course, we had the conversation with the guys over at Believe Titans and also, you know, the discussion about the game and then getting into this. So we're going to wrap up here, Jay, you know, just let everybody know what they have to look forward to in terms of not just the podcast, but of course, over there on the Jaguars wire. Yep, man, we're going to take a look at the Titans as we, you know, do with every opponent, albeit we know them so well and so on and so forth. A lot has changed 
since the last time we played the Titans, you know. Um, as you all heard in the recording with Davey and and Denard, uh Davion Clowney isn't there. You know, they've um they haven't won necessarily as many games as some thought they would have by now, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we'll reevaluate that team, get y'all ready for Sunday's game. And in terms of the podcast, you know, we're trying to get on uh some some different guests. Uh we've reached out to a, a guy that's uh with USA Today that we want to speak with that we had on the podcast before. So that's the hint I'll give you. Uh, and, you know, we're looking at some national guys too, is, you know, like you've seen in the past, basically, because the Jacksonville Jaguars, as I've said, they're coming up on a very crucial time uh, for the organization in terms of finding new leadership. And uh, it's going to be a interesting uh, situation to watch unfold to say the least. And Jay, because we had so much to talk about, we didn't even get to talk about or discuss the fact that Trevor Lawrence was a Jacksonville Jaguar for all of three minutes before the the Jets. Of course, we touched on a little bit with uh, the guys over at Believe in the Titans, but we we had them. Uh, but again, you and I, I think, are almost equally as high on as as, uh, as uh, on Justin Fields. So we'll see what happens. But hey, listen, guys, you know that's it for this episode. We thank you again so much for listening. If you are enjoying and you have not yet, please follow us on apple Podcasts, along with leaving a five-star review you can also you can also locate us on spotify google play stitcher luminary and tune in of course we're on believe.com and at believe podcast you can follow the show on twitter at believe in jags pod you can find myself at phil the filipino f-i-l-i-p-i-n-o and of course jay is over at sports grind underscore don make sure you follow the jaguars wire over on facebook and twitter and of course you can just go to jaguarswire.usatoday.com and find all the up-to-date jacksonville jaguars news this has been believe in the jaguars right here on the believe podcast network we will see you guys next time stay safe and we believe do you we'll see you next time guys thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.